Are you a U.S. service member or veteran who finds it hard to fall or stay asleep? Do you feel tired and sleepy during the day? You answered yes, you might be experiencing a common sleep disorder called insomnia. Cognitive behavior therapy is the number one recommended treatment for insomnia. A new study conducted by the Center for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine is testing an online cognitive behavior therapy app that can be accessed by a computer or a smartphone. This study can be completed 100% online anywhere in the U.S. Active duty service members and veterans between the ages of 18 and 64 who are experiencing insomnia and have had a head injury might be eligible to participate. Interested in learning more about this opportunity? Call or text 301-456-5474 to connect with a member of the study's team. That's 301-456-5474 or visit militaryveterandad.com forward slash sleep. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 146, and it is our first interview show of the year in 2022. Couldn't be more excited because today we are talking to Jim Kreider. is a husband, a dad of three boys, outdoor adventurer, young guy, certified financial planner, and Jim is also the CEO of Intentional Living FP, a financial planning company designed specifically to guide clients as they navigate the path to early financial independence for the purpose of spending time with people they care about and pursuing their passion. This episode goes into all the different areas that military veterans struggle in, finding the right life, letting go of things that aren't serving them, kind of just being selfish, but then also figuring out what your American dream looks like and having the courage to go out there and create it. And more importantly, on top of all of this, have conversations with your partner, the people important in your life about what is really important to you and how can you do that over and over and over. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Jim Kreider. And as is tradition, hang on to the other side of this episode where I'll be back on the microphone dropping my big takeaway of this conversation. Today, we are talking to Jim Kreider, going all the way down to Texas, who brings not a military perspective, but a freedom and money perspective that as veterans, we do not have seasoned in our life enough. We have many efforts by DOD to tell us about money, everything from signing up to TSP, even in boot camp, giving us a checking account so they can make sure your money goes in the right spot and all these different things. But we often don't fully hear everything that we're doing. So I'm excited for this interview because Jim's going to talk about why it's important. And it's not just about counting beans, as Jim's going to talk about. It's actually understanding like where are these beans actually flowing in this river that you want with intention. So Jim, welcome to the podcast today. Ben, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So let's go back to the beginning, because I'm sure there's a mat, there's a world where you were not the gym that saw the world that you saw today or that you see every day. Where did you kind of have a moment of inflection where you're like, this is not how I want to wire my life? Hmm. I, uh, you I said you were a philosophical s- question, so I, <laughs> I'm going to go right out the gate with a deep question. Yeah, I'd say about seven years ago, I so after school, I worked in different sales jobs. I'm a really, really bad salesman, but that's just what I did. That's what you were <laughs> so told worked, you should plug yourself into? 
Yeah, I guess I wasn't good at anything else. They said, here, go sell something at least. So I tried to do that for a few years, was really bad at it. And that led to me being unemployed for a sustained period of time. I left a job and was just, I didn't have a game plan. So I was unemployed for for a sustained period of time. And uh, yeah, during that time, like, I don't know, applying for jobs and sitting around trying to figure out what you want to do is very tedious and um, overwhelming. What do I want to be when I grow up? When you're already in your mid-20s, you feel like you should have the answer there. No and, listeners that are listening have any idea what you're talking about because veterans never have to feel that overwhelming feeling of you're out and now figuring it out. Yeah, you're <laughs> exactly. Every, everyone has this all figured out except for me. I was the only person. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. And during that time, I just started thinking about like, wow, what's what do I want to do for the rest of my life? If I had to go into a career that I actually enjoy, that I'm good at, that I uh, can actually bring value to people, what would that look like? And then that same time, it coincided with my wife and I like really facing the struggles of you know finance, finance and the issues there. And I started thinking about how money's the number one cause of divorce in the US. It's one of the top causes of, of personal stress and suicide is just uh, money issues. Now, I, I just started thinking about how I, I would love to help people actually align their life and their money and use their money for what's important to them and have healthy conversations around money. So I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that that would be important and helpful for, for Kendra. My wife, her name is Kendra. It'd be helpful for Kendra and I, and that'd be an amazing way to be able to spend a career. So I just sort of, I dove into that without, again, without understanding the implications of what that looked like. But you know, I just took the first first move that made sense and just kept going down that road. So I'm going to call an idea out that I think has a deeper question. We're going to see what happens here. That question, the way you decide, like you said, like there's a deeper meaning. There's more to life than just work. There is providing value. There's a richness to that that you should do. That is not standard programming. So if you were to think, because I feel like this was like a question or a quote in the side of your head that was always a knowing that was just like never would go away. And everything you tried doing, this thing was still on the side. But who put it there? Who helped you understand that maybe this thought that you then maybe had learned the hard way to follow and what even following looked like? Where did that come from? Maybe it's because I'm a millennial and uh, we want to feel good about whatever we do. <laughs> maybe that's it. I don't know. I, I've always been pretty introspective and uh, not really driven by money per se, but actually fulfillment. And I've always had the desire to be good at whatever I'm doing. And uh, unfortunately, I would—I guess I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades, but I wanted to find something I was actually an ace at that, again, actually deliver value to people. So it was just a just melding of a whole bunch of areas that had me thinking, well, if I'm going to, you, know, you spend more time at your, at your job than you do pretty much anything else for your, your working age life. If I can spend that much time doing something, it might as well check those boxes of satisfaction and helping and fulfillment and all these areas. So yeah. And I had the time. Um, I, I started thinking during that, that time of unemployment, I thought about maybe teaching high school geography. Um, that'd be fun to be a way to impact kids and help them think about the world in a different way. Um, I thought about um, I don't, just a whole bunch of odd things. And I started looking at well, what are all the things that these have in common and it was not money by any means. We're, I mean, talking about a geography teacher. Um, it was having an impact on people and having allowing people to view whatever subject it was through a different lens to allow them to go further in that area and the implications on their life. And again, that all brought in this money conversation and aligning life and money. That's sort of all where it went to. I, I don't know how I got there. Um, I mean, I grew up in a household. We didn't have a ton of money per se, but or by any means, but it was definitely this 
Um, you know, we did listen to Dave Ramsey a lot and went through those courses and stuff. I mean, just having that in your ears, I didn't figure that out until I was 30 and even heard the word Dave Ramsey until I was 30. So <laughs> having that seed planted, live like no one else. So later you can live like no one else. Like that thought will change your life perpetuated in the side of your head and life as it keeps going unfolding. Yeah. I mean, even when I, I remember being young and hearing people talk about like, you know, friends, parents, or whatever, like, oh, I always wish we could have gone to Italy, but we just couldn't afford it you know, but we're outside playing and I look up and I see a big old satellite on the roof. And it's like, all right, you say you can't afford Italy, but you're paying 300 bucks a month for TV. You, if you say something's important to you, I don't see that actually working out in your day-to-day lifestyle. If it's truly important, make the sacrifices, make the trade-offs. So even as a young kid, I recognize like, all right, there's trade-offs here. And a lot of people aren't willing to make those trade-offs. I don't know if that's because it's a subconscious, like they don't, they don't have the grand vision for what they want to achieve, or if it's, it's an, I didn't know if it was intentional or unintentional. And I've come to realize over time that most people just sort of walk through life accidentally rather than uh, understanding what's truly important to them and causing their day-to-day actions to align with that. Um, so walking intentionally. Um, and that's. Let's go to a different thought because there's a lot of veterans out there that are millennials that even have subscribed to what you just said. But most people generally have this feeling, who the hell am I? to get what I want in life. So how did you work through that thought? It was, or even maybe that that was ever a limiting belief. And cause I've also met people that like, they just didn't know that they couldn't have what they wanted in life. If they put their effort to it, like they were just too blinded by like, you just, you just say it, you can speak it to an existence and it should happen. And then life doesn't really work that way. But from like me, uh, my, I, I, cause I had lots of ideas like that, but I was always like, guys like you don't do things like that. I would say I'd probably the latter of what you described. Like, why not me? Why not? And again, I'm not I'm by no means the smartest guy you'll come across. Um, and maybe that maybe that helped is recognizing like there's opportunity. I my grandparents instilled in uh, me and all my cousins from an early age this uh, big thinking um, perspective. This this way of looking out beyond yourself and identifying what's important and be able to chase after those and uh, encourage us to read a lot of books that uh, really planted those seeds inside of you. Like you can accomplish these things if you want to, if you put your mind to it. So I think that also instilled me from an early age. Like, again, why not you? If you work hard enough, you want to do these things, you can do these. Um, you know, there's a, a saying, I can't remember who said it, but you can, you can have anything you want in life. You just can't have everything. And um, that's something I sort of cling to is, you know, everything in life requires a decision. There's trade-offs, there's opportunity cost, And if you truly want something like, yeah, you can, you can probably do it. Uh, but if you're going to choose one thing, you are going to give up something else purposely or not. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I probably identify more the latter of, again, why why not me? Not, oh, well, woe is me. I can't do that. That's for someone else. I, I, I don't know. I've realized that most of the people out there who are wildly successful and do well in their jobs probably just put forth the work. Not to hate on Kendra, my wife, but I mean, Kendra was... Uh, she graduated high school and college, like a 4.0. Um, I wasn't, I was about half of that GPA and, uh, she, we regularly talk and she's like, man, you're, you're actually doing what you want. I just spent my whole life studying. And that just goes to show like she, uh, it's a perspective thing, like finding something you really want, just running after that fully. And if anyone out there, if you can just do that, identify something that's important to you and just run after it, like you'll probably be successful if you're, if you're tenacious enough. Um, it's not about, uh, I'd say it's less about skill than people give it credit for. So let me have you put your financial planner hat on for the couple that walks in that maybe have designed their dream, but they don't really see the path to get there. 
Because what we're talking about is two kind of fields of thought. One is that you actually design your entire life for exactly what you want. But then there's another one from the financial planning of you do what you're doing every day and you're more focused on how do you essentially build your future to where you want it to so that the bus is pointing in the right direction and you get where you want to go. How do you help different people that maybe aren't necessarily focused on like having everything want every day, but just working about making sure their money goals get where they want in the end? First off, we, we start off with understanding not just what your goals are, but what's the intent behind the goals. Like there's a lot of people out there of, I don't know, let's just put an arbitrary goal out there. I want to have a, like for me personally, I want to have a house in the mountains one day, Jackson Hole, Telluride, something like that. Um, if I stop there, I would lose sight of what's really important. And then, so I ask, well, why do I want that? And the goal, the reason behind having that goal is because I want a place for family and friends to gather, to make moments and memories um, for, for my family and generationally. So if that's truly the intent, then that helps form and shape the actions I'm taking to help achieve that later on. But also it helps mold and form the actions I'm taking now. Like if I say that I want to have a place that uh, curates moments and memories with my family, it'd be foolish of me to neglect that today while my kids are actually still under my roof. So helping, I, I come alongside and say, hey, if these things are important to you, why is that actually important? And what can we do about that today? while also being able to go and be able to do that down the line in an even bigger and more grand scale. That's I've had, I've had too many of these conversations. I've had tens of thousands of conversations now with people who um, were wildly successful with something they thought was important to them. But once they reached success, they recognized that as Stephen Covey says that their, their ladder was leaned against the wrong wall. They climbed real hard. They made it real high, but they got to something that end of the day, one, even what they're shooting for. So we have, we always reference back, like what, what's the underlying motive here? And is there a way that we can actually get there more quickly? Um, when we actually look at what's, what's truly important to you, not surface level. I love that because in a, many cases, that ladder can be the military career. That ladder can be these things that you're told to. I mean, the most common advice is you do your 20, you get that pension, unicorns and rainbows show up, you get a lifetime paycheck. And it all sounds good at the end, but in many cases, it's a very lonely ending because either you lost your family along the way or on the way out, everything explodes and you end up getting a divorce and you realize that like that was the wrong ladder. But most people, and I think you probably have seen this with your clients as well with uh, COVID, is we were just going so fast. We had the horse blinders on that prevented us from actually seeing any side what was going on. And when everything slowed down, I think that was our chance to really figure out like, wow, this place is a hot mess. It looks like a freaking frat party went off here the, the night before. And we have to really figure out like how to clean it up and make sure that we're not just running around with our blinders on. Yeah, I completely agree. That's you've seen a lot of people uh, exit jobs and a lot of people are really pushing for working from home. Um, people will recognize during that time period of like, I get to spend a lot more time with my family if I'm not commuting two hours a day. Uh, to go to this job I hate. Um, I think I want to keep that. So people, it, it was a forcing mechanism to reevaluate like what what could life look like if I made some changes. So I, a lot of ways, COVID forced um, some healthy reevaluation of priorities. So I was obviously there's good parts of that for sure. I'm, I'm happy to see that. In the old or in the most common way of thinking, there's a lot of belief systems that have to stay true in order for people to keep believing the average life of doing 30 somewhere or sticking to the end and climbing that ladder and everything should be perfect at the end. And you can enjoy your retirement when you get there, and but you're going to work your ass off till you get there. What is your most common belief that you kind of have to walk by and pop that balloon 
in order for someone to begin to see a different way. Because a lot of this is good, but until people change their belief systems, they think you're full of shit. I think that comes in with helping people recognize that most people who do that traditional retirement situation, work 30, get your pension, call today, go to Florida a couple times a year, watch a lot of you know Jeopardy and play golf with your buddies a few times a week. Um, most of those people are really miserable. And what would be a much better strategy would be to find something that's fulfilling now and um, align your lifestyle with that. And if that means, you know, of course, not everyone's going to absolutely just fall in love with their job and just wake up dancing to work. But um, certainly I, I would not advocate for making yourself go to a job that you hate for 30 years. So you can one day leave and do something that you find out later on that, gosh, I really don't want to play golf with these guys three days a week. This is not fulfilling either. So yeah, helping people reorganize that perspective. Have you ever, have you ever heard of the fire movement, fire financial, yep, independence? Fi financial independence, retire early? Yeah. So my clients actually all often line, align with that in a lot of senses. The people I work with generally are young families who desire early financial independence. So my clients typically want financial independence by eh, mid to late forties, maybe, maybe early fifties or so is, is very common. And uh, but on that, I, I purposely stay away from like traditional fire stuff because I'm afraid what's going to happen. All these people go and they work in a high income job, maybe working in tech or something, and they work way too much because they hate their job and they just want to be able to exit super fast. So then there's 37 and they finally have enough money that they can retire. So they quit their job and then they go, you know, backpack in Southeast Asia by the time, by, you know, by themselves and they're done and they can stick it to the man. But I'm really afraid of all these people who are doing that. They're like sacrificing and hating their life today. They're going to find they get to Asia and they're, you know, sitting on a beach in Indonesia or whatever. And they're going to realize then that they're still empty. Like they don't have purpose. They don't have community. And they just, they just threw away you know, a decade and a half of their working life to go and do something that also maybe isn't fulfilling as they hoped it would be. So it's really forcing people to reevaluate, like, what do I really, really want? And most people don't know that. Most people don't stop to ask, why do I think I want this? And if, if, if this is really something I want, and now they understand why I want it, what are the actual implications of that? You know, because dollars and cents and mutual funds, or even like the, the outer expressions of those actions, the goals themselves are very arbitrary. And frankly, they're not that important. Like even just a goal itself, like I want X, I want retirement at X date, or I want X dollars in the bank, or I want this possession. Um, those things change and that's okay. The purpose of a goal is simply to inform the best next step to take Understanding that that goal is probably going to change. I would assume, Ben, that your goals today are different than they were five years ago, and they'll be different five years from now than they are today. That's really common. So we can't, there's a lot of danger in stopping at the goal itself um, instead of actually peeling that back. So I think just that's the biggest thing. You asked, like, what, what can we do to pop that bubble as far as, you know, doing all these things and finding unfulfillment is forcing people to question their motives and pull back those layers further till you're actually exposed and raw about, okay, this is actually what I want. Like um, really succinct anecdotal uh, story I have is I, I used to work, I did retirement planning for uh, like a lot of physicians. So I worked with a lot of families who made a lot of money. So all these people were in their sixties, you know, making several hundred thousands, if not a couple of million dollars a year of income. And a lot of times we would start off the conversation talking about the dollars and cents. And they're wildly successful on the dollars and cents side of things. 
And then I'd pause the conversation. I'd come back and, hey, Mr. and Ms. Smith, um, I'm curious, like y'all have done really well money-wise. Like, why did you decide to get into medicine? Like it worked out great. What, what caused that? And here's a super common story um, along the lines. I've had tons of these. And usually it looks something like this. Well, when, when I was a kid, we didn't have much. And I heard my parents fight about money all the time. We didn't know if the lights were going to get turned off. We always had ratty clothes. Food was scarce and really bad. My parents argued about the bills. And when I was a kid, I just decided that I'm going to do something that made more money so that my kids would have a better childhood than I had. Uh, like, wow, that's awesome. And clearly you did that. You made a whole lot of money. Like you, you did what you said. Um, you know, your kids, you told me earlier in the conversation that your kids are grown and out of the house now and they have their own families. But um, you said you did this so your kids would have a good childhood. How was that? How was having kids and raising them? And I think for the first time, so many of those people I talked with, for the first time they ever stopped to think about that. And they realized that, you know, 11 year old them, when they wanted to make money for their kids, they realized there was a disconnect. And for the first time they realized, you know, I did make a lot of, a lot of money, but I don't even know if my kids had a good childhood because I was so involved with work. I never even got to know them and I miss it all. And that's horribly sad. The whole purpose was to make sure your kids had a good childhood, yet you missed it. It all went You just described the 20 year military dad, worst case scenario. I mean, there's dads that don't get to know their kids until they join the military and have something common to talk about. Yeah, that happens all the time. You know, like how many times do we say like, I'm going to do this because it's going to have this impact on my, on my family yet. Like for me, I, I, I'm, I personally, I'm 31 right now. I want the ability to not have to work by the time I'm 45. And the reason that is because at that age, my kids will be in their mid teens and I want to be able to, we love going to the mountains backpacking. I want to be able to go and do these really long backpacking trails with my kids and have this, these years before they have their own families and are busy with school and all that stuff. You'll go out and make these big memories. But if that's the reason why I want work optionality at that age, it would be so foolish for me to skip this current time frame with my kids. Like, so I make it a point. I read to my kids at night, you know, before bed and we hang out and I, I, I let my wife, you know, have the mornings off and I wake up and make them breakfast and play dinosaurs. It'd be foolish to say, I'm going to do this later on yet. Skip all of that today. Now there, again, there's, there's trade-offs and there's a place of like, I can't do all these things so I can do them. Uh, and by giving up today, I can do them further and more so later on, but you have to bring into perspective, like why I'm actually doing this. And that's, that again, that causes that, or that, that comes about by actually uh, peeling back the why. And a lot of people start off maybe earlier on when you're a kid, you had the why, like I want to go in the military. So these things, but uh, over time that slipped by and it just became a daily grind and you have to pause, reflect and say, hold on. And yet it, it takes a lot of vulnerability. Um, but until you're vulnerable with yourself, um, it's going to be hard to actually make me take meaningful action. You brought up something with the doctors and Every time someone says this, I always cringe a little bit because it took me a long time to figure this out, is we always say we want a better life for our kids. And there was a book, I want to say it's The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. He wrote that the greatest generation, the one thing they wanted for their kids was to have it better than they did. They grew up in the depression. But in that single moment, they took away the one thing that made them the greatest generation. They had the resilience. They had the grit. They had to fight for what they, they had to get. They were very capable human beings. And so I always reframe it as, I don't want my kids to have a better life. I just want my kids to have a more capable life. But capable life comes from experiences. It comes from what you're talking about, backpacking, experiencing, and going out into life and actually falling down, getting back up, figuring out how you're going to climb up this rock face or figure out how you're going to get a fire lit tonight because it rained. Those are where capabilities are grown. 
But that's not what we slow down to into life because that's not the life we're told to have. It's not the one that the economy says you need to have. It's not the one that Target says you should have as well. Target says you should just have enough money to go spend your Target run that weekend and come back and rinse and repeat. But there's so much depth to what you're talking about that really got me excited because that's exactly what we talk about in this podcast, that your life isn't made up of what you do. And there's a quote that I can't remember the guy's name that says it, but no amount of success outside the home will fix a failure inside the home. And that's pretty much the modern day man is we chase this success because that's what our grandfathers did. That's what our dads did. And that's where we were told to go. But that hasn't perpetually led anywhere. It's led to a 50% divorce rate, 70% of people that are in the system within the prison systems don't have a dad in their life. They're fatherless homes. And it just led to this whole catastrophe, like breakdown of how a man should show up in a kid's life. And what you just talked about there is that awakening. Now, the hard part is that generally is like it's easier to wake up when you have money. But when you don't have money, it can often feel, I can feel it in myself, where when I lost my job, the whole world shook. I mean, I no longer had this thing that was issued to me every two weeks that, that showed up in my bank account. Like, how do you refigure out that the world's going to be okay when that doesn't come? That's an entirely new vulnerable experience. And now almost two years later, I'm still figuring that out, but I'm diving into it. I'm balancing what you just said, making sure that I don't pass up adventures now while the kids are younger for something in the future. I knew, especially with a military dad podcast, while you're trying to help dads, you're also taking time away from being dad. Like I knew no amount of success in this podcast was going to fix a failure within my family. It wasn't going to buy back time. And it's something we just need to be conscious to. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree there. It's um, part of that. You mentioned like, if you're, if you're not set up like financially right now, it's hard to let your mind go there and like think bigger, but you can always do those things. Obviously there's a place of just satisfying base needs in life. But if you're telling me that, Hey, I really want to be able to spend more time with my kids doing these things, making memories, like you don't need to have a $4 million house in Jackson hole to do that. Like kids are pretty simple. Like, you know, just go on a adventure in your local city and make it a point to just go play in the yard or go on a walk and look for bugs. Like pretty simple. You don't have to have a bunch of money for that. And uh, yeah, it's reconfiguring, understanding really what is really important to me here. Again, all those other things are simply uh, like supporting actors uh, and props in the narrative of the lot of your life, and don't allow the supporting actors and the and the props to become the focus. Um, let let the, the actual key people play that role, and you have to keep that perspective. So, and I, I definitely get what you're saying. I mean, Kendra and I, when we were newlyweds, we were absolutely broke. I think in 20, 2013, our gross household income was like thirteen grand. Um, super poor. And it was fun. Like I always, for some reason, always romanticize, romanticize being a poor newlywed. Um, and it was great. Like, you know, a date night was sharing a pint of ice cream and just sitting outside under the stars. And, you know, it was, it was fun. I don't want to do that again. Uh, but yeah, again, that's some of our favorite date nights to look back on are those days when, you know, all we had was one broken couch and we didn't have a TV. So we, we watched movies on our laptop because at that point, what was important is being together. It wasn't, a, t- a large TV in a, in a fancy place. Um, again, those were just simply props that we didn't have at the time. Um, it was ultimately to serve the purpose of this. And that's really what money and things are for. They're simply resources and tools to help you do what's important to you. I think what you also hit on there is um, an identifying, like I feel like the less money you have 
and depending on it also can come just like what you grew up with is whether you feel like you can break free of the box because if you feel like the walls around that box are really close to you to feel like there's not much room to explore even what maybe i have this idea wrong and it, it's really i can i can feel it in so many early stories in my own life getting out of the marine corps i felt there was only three lanes to life there was you get a degree you find your job and you navigate these three lanes but really it's a million lane wide and i had only three lanes and that's where i stuck to and it took me 10 years to figure out that whoa i don't have to follow this common path you can make your own path you can make whatever path you want but that feeling wasn't and i grew up on a farm where like we were always worried about the next drought or my dad's still worried about the next drought 30 years later there's always like the next season's gonna be the worst one so you got to make sure you save everything that you can't just like enjoy now almost because you're always fighting to make sure tomorrow is as good as it can be because you don't have a lot of the odds that feeling even some till today that feeling still plagues me in some ways of like oh tomorrow's gonna be a big drought so i gotta make sure i i'm planned for it I, d- I definitely understand that. And that can certainly leave a mark. And that's something I always talk about with a, you know, before someone becomes a client, if we're just talking, I, I, I want to understand like, what was money like growing up to you? Because that's going to usually leave an impression on the way you behave and, you know, financial characteristics and behaviors in your life. And that can be insightful for spouses. Like, oh, I just thought you were a tightwad. No, it's because we grew up without, and uh, we never knew what was going to happen next week. So that that's why I tend to cling on to these things. So it's really important to, to unpack, you know, those behaviors and why you, why you act a certain way. Um, and yeah, as far as it, it, you, you started going here earlier was it's almost easier when you don't have as much. I think that's where you're going. It's, it's easier to understand what's important to you. And, uh, if, I remember a few years ago, I read a study, it pulled people across like all different types of in, income spectrums, like people who are making like 30 grand a year. So I guess as a household, so below poverty line up to several hundred thousands of dollars a year. And the question was, how much more, how much money do you need in order to feel successful and comfortable? And across the board, everyone's answer was if they made 20% more. So if someone was making $30,000, it was 20% more. So just $6,000 more, they would be successful. And people making $300,000 more, if I just made 60 grand more, then I would feel comfortable. So 20% more. And that's, uh, you have to pause and reflect. I mean, gosh, like I said earlier, there's, I work with a lot of high income people. You know, a lot of these people who make a lot of money, like physicians, they are just as stressed as anyone else about their finances. They're just as broke. They're just broke with fancier toys and their stresses just look different. Um, going back to those stories I've heard countless times about people who realize that they didn't know their kids because they were so busy working. They also admit like, hey, we actually fight about money a lot too, but we don't fight about if the power is going to get turned off and which bill we have to pay. But like, why are you keep buying these toys? You know, I, I want this, you want that. So it's, it's a lot of, we always think that the grass is greener. Like, Oh, if I had more then I'd feel comfortable. But again, like that's how everyone feels. If I had 20% more then I'd be able to rest. But that's where like, I mean, lifestyle creep, you make more, you're probably going to spend more and you're still going to be just as stressed later on. That's almost the, like what you just described there is the downside to consumerism because consumerism requires patterns. It requires you to spend more and it requires that you don't have enough to keep going with what's being presented. And I feel like that's the like consumerism, capitalism. It's a great American machine. But the downside is this never enough. And you have to conscious. This is not something we're taught. It's part of the almost the, the game that we're taught to subscribe to is that and I've heard that survey as well, that no matter like whether you're making 5 million, it's always 20% more of, I, I would be perfect if I just made 20% more. 
and that's the illusion. And again, we talk about speed with Corona. We were just going so fast, you don't actually even see what you're going towards. I want to switch shift to a different area because I think there's a, a lesson here that could go in a benefit. We've talked about it a lot, but I want to see how it's playing out in your life. You're only 31. You're extrapolating out to 45. You're a smart guy, but you also probably know that you can't do this alone, that you actually don't have all the solutions. You don't have all the answers to the questions. You don't even know you need to ask. So how do you manage your network to build your network in a way that you have the resources, the people, and also continue to widen? Because we often have a, a limitation of how wide we see the future. How do you manage that going forward to make sure that you realize that I need people around me to get to where I'm going 45 and it's a constant effort to make sure that it, the tribe that I surround myself with is going to influence my decisions, my thinking, my dreams to make sure that I hit my mark. There's, there's people who play instrumental roles across different areas. So, I mean, just business wise, you know, I have, I have mentors, I have uh, other professionals I work with, like for the technical side of things, like, you know, working with CPAs and business coaches to make sure we're going there. But outside of that, yeah, I have, um, close friends that I stay in you know, close relationship with to make sure that I'm not uh, negotiating the things that are important to me, uh, you know, for those dollars and cents things, so I can retire at 45. Like I have the people that keep me accountable on those lines. Uh, my wife and I, we have, we have community that know both of us together and our relationship um, to help us keep accountable and make sure that we're, um, our, our marriage is healthy and our family's healthy. Um, our parents, fortunately, like both of our parents are, are great. So they're there to be able to count on and have those conversations with us and play as role models on what does a healthy marriage look like and how do you continue to date despite being married for multiple decades? Um, yeah, we, and my wife, you know, herself, like we, we talk about this stuff regularly and keep each other accountable for, you know, what's the grand vision here? What are the actions we need to take? And it's not all about budget and investing. It's like, hey, you you said that you want to make sure you're doing these things, and you said that um, you know this is important to you. Like, are you actually acting on that now? Um, how can I help you out? So it comes with again coming back with like vulnerability. Um, you have to be you have to be open enough to people and uh, to go to people. And outside of that, like I, I tend to read a lot. I'm a big reader. Um, there's a handful of books I reread every single year that play key roles in in my life. So you know, just consuming information. And then, yeah, seeking out of the people you've seen to be successful and people that know you well, that's going to, that are going to ask those hard questions and push and probe and prod uh, you forward to where you said you want to be. Was that something that you always did well, or did you have to kind of learn the hard way that you can't do it alone? I think I've always done that. Well, I've always known I'm not the smartest guy. Like that's what I, ha I think that's what I have. Your going GPA for probably reminded you of that, and you're like, yeah. "This is the signal from the universe." <laughs> so, Kendra, a few years ago, I uh, I think it was for my CFP or something like that. I passed a test. I don't know what it was for. I someone needed to know my GPA, and I had work, so I said, "Hey," I texted Kendra. I said, "Hey, can you go by uh, the school and whatever the registrar's office and have them just give you my GPA? They won't give it to me over the phone." So, can you have them give it to you? Um, don't, don't make fun of me when you get it. She's like, Oh my gosh, is it embarrassing? Like a, like a 3.6. I was like, if that's embarrassing, you're going to divorce me when you see mine. Yeah. I, I think that's the helpful thing. Like I've always known I'm not the smartest guy. So therefore like I have to leverage these other things. Like I need other people. I genuinely recognize like other people around me know way more than I do. So like, how can I, how can I lean into that and use that? And then, um, yeah. How can I be scrappy and resourceful enough and just work hard enough? And it's, it's, it, it, if, if I am actually good at something, it's probably going to be 
something I enjoy. So how can I continue to lean into those things? So I can delegate out the things I don't like and I'm not good at, and I can run in the things I am. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that, uh, for sure. Um, let's go into a different area because adventure is something that's part of your life and adventure is something that I incorporate in my life. And I'm a big believer in adventure and kids and how it seasons your life. So what's your mindset or what's some of your just basic principles of how you make sure your kids are understanding adventure or even how you create simple adventures because we can often overcomplicate it, it doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon. So I'm interested to see how your parenting philosophy weaves in with adventure and your young kids. Yeah, so our, our kids are young. So we have, we have three boys. They're four, two, and nine months. Uh, so, I mean, we're certainly, yeah, we're not going to the Grand Canyon and to, to do any uh, uh, rafting yet. Um, but yeah, day to day, I mean, we spend a lot of time just in the yard and going on walks. We talk about, uh, the mountains all the time. Like I said earlier, we read to them every night and, uh, then I'll just pause and I'll tell them stories about, you know, backpacking trips and I'll throw them in there. Like, Oh, that time, my, one of my oldest, his name's Atticus, like Atticus, the time that you want to tell me this, you want, you want me to tell you the story about when Atticus and dad were on a, the motorcycle trip in Wyoming. So we'll talk about that and like, just really put him into these things. So now he's like, Oh, when, when can I go on the, to the mountains with you? And you know, I tell them about, you know, taking a bath in the, in the cold water and the glaciers and stuff like that. And yeah, we do it you know, in small ways now. Like, like you said, it doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon, but just going out and try new things and pushing the limits on what's available in the front yard. Um, you know, it not, I don't, I certainly try not to be a helicopter parent and obviously, obviously I want to be responsible, but you know, my kids, like we have this monkey bar thing and Atticus just realized a couple of days ago that he can climb all the way to the top and just jump off, which is terrifying. Like I just picture his little femur snapping. Uh, cause he's so he's tiny, but, uh, you know, like, Hey, he's going to try it. He's going to be just fine. So let's, let's encourage him to do that in a smart way. That way, when he is in the mountains, he understands like heights and his limits and the ability to push them in a, uh, in a healthy manner. Um, so it's a matter of stewarding well, what we have and what's, you know, what we can do. Um, and also casting vision, like, okay, one day we're going to be able to go do these things. And man, I, I think probably in the next year or so, um, we'll, we'll start taking them on trips and introducing them to like these amazing landscapes and actually being able to see these things that we've told them about. Really the downside of the monkey bars is the swimming pools. Like whether you go to a water park and they have no edge of the fear, which is like, even if it's a wading pool, like they just run off that edge with no fear. And like between the ages of two and like four, there's just like your heart is literally beating outside your body. And the moment you blink, they could be off the pool. And like, I remember like in the last few years, all the kids have been at the point where I don't have that heartbreak. They can just run around in the pool. They can do what they need to. It is such a relaxing feeling. Like it's monkey bars is one thing, but the pool is one of those, like every moment could be the one that they drown. So it's like, and they're not, in, they have no fear about it too. So it's this whole new experience that you have to get comfortable with, but also like don't want to keep them out of the pool because you want them to learn how to be safe and swimming. But at the same time, it's like the the front lines of that you no know, fear jumping off something. Oh, my, my kids terrify me on a daily basis. They're absolutely fearless and they, they just go for stuff. And there's just this massive cognizant disconnect about like what they're doing and what the possible implications are. And it's <laughs> it's definitely nerve wracking. Like, yeah, it's, you know, climbing up on the cabinets, trying to get on top of the fridge so they can reach something. It's like, man, if you fell right now, that's going to hurt real bad. And uh, yeah, they just don't understand. Um you know, I think that's part of, you know, how we raise them. But I think it's this natural thing. Like my, my brother-in-law, he's, he's a nut and, uh, he has, he's fearless, which led to a lot of, uh, pain 
physical pain in his life. Uh, but he's, he's very motivated to go after stuff. He's not going to let it deter him and he's absolutely fearless. And I'm afraid that gene's been passed to my kids. Um, so yeah, I just have to try not to freak out, um, and you know, hone it responsibly. So for a dad listening to this, that maybe likes the idea of adventure, maybe sees other people living adventurous lives, but doesn't feel like they can themselves. Cause I would say my, my dad wasn't a big adventure guy. He was pretty much about farming. I didn't go hunting. I didn't go fishing. And it was one of those that like, I didn't even really give myself permission to have big adventures. How would you say adventure has been important in your life? And what has been like some of the bigger results that you can't imagine living without that people should consider including adventure just from an adult perspective, not even just a kid perspective. A group, uh, for the last 12 years, a group of guys, uh, we've gone backpacking every summer. We go out to the Rockies and, uh, typically in Colorado and we're out there for a week, week and a half. And every time we're out there, I come back just as, I I feel like I'm a better dad and a better husband and better business owner. Um, just cause it just changes your perspective, you know, day to day being a dad and running a business and a husband, like there's a lot of grind. Like there's your mind's everywhere and you're trying to just push through you get in the mountains. The only responsibility is like, just take the next step. Yeah. You're climbing a tough mountain or whatever, but like, frankly, there's one key thing here. Just keep moving forward. And that's a good reset. And it also just shifts your perspective. Like, wow, I'm actually really, really small and, uh, it's going to be okay. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the most, one of the more satisfying things. Yeah. It's great to be able to see these things and experience these amazing, you know, views. And so we always like jumping in these lakes that are frigid and just pushing yourself and challenging the, the physical side, but it's ultimately about this resetting of your perspective. Um, also just frankly, getting away. Like my wife understood before we got married, like, Hey babe, this is, this is a non-negotiable. I'm going to get away and go do this every year for a week. And, uh, she, she encourages that. Um, because again, I think it's, I think it's healthy for, for me as a dad, as a man, um, as a husband to be able to go and have that side of me. That's not this modern man that sits behind a desk all day. Like I need that outlet. And I encourage, I encourage her the same way. Like, Hey, you need to go do things for you because you're not just a mom, you're a woman. So go do womanly things. So you can also be a mom, uh, in your fullness. Um, and yeah, so I encourage any, any dad out there, like it doesn't have to be climbing a mountain or, you know, whatever crazy physical challenge. It could be as simple as, I mean, I don't know, go camping or in your, take your kids in your backyard and go camping or go to a local place and do it. Or I don't know, it, it doesn't have to be this grand grandiose plan. Just put yourself out of your normal day to day and shift your perspective a little bit. And then when you get back to your day to day, maybe you'll have some more insight of, Oh, this could be different. And here's how it handled this situation. There was a feeling for me when I first went camping that like almost like camping naturally as we were driving through the woods, like you easily forget in your home, especially like in here where I, I work from home and I don't leave my home very much. And this is like to, to go get something and come right back. You forget how much life is out there. And when life is only within the four walls of your home, it just feels like really this is it. Like this is just it. And it just be, feels overwhelming. And sometimes you can take away that spark of life that like, you're like, oh, this just doesn't feel like this is what it should be about anymore. And really when I was in the woods, like just realizing how abundant life is and like it, like how much of life is actually happening outside of my day-to-day stuff, whether I'm where I am or what I'm doing, all of those things help me understand that what I'm feeling right now isn't necessarily reality because life is still happening out there. People are still doing what they need to do. And we almost need to get outside of our life to really see maybe where it's like that self-diagnostic. Once you get outside of it into the wilderness, 
around a bunch of life, you're like, wow, I really wasn't living much of that life that was there. And then you get a chance to go back and make a new, new direction. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you asked earlier about my, you know, if, how I'm able to navigate these things and have a bigger view. Like if I'm the person who is like, oh, I, I can't do it because it's me or anyone can do these things. And I think that actually going out and experiencing things beyond your, your day-to-day and your own four walls helps with that because your, your perspective and what's out there is just increased. Like, oh my gosh, there's people doing all these things. Like I, I'm going to encourage my kids to go and, you know, maybe take a gap year or not even go to school and just go see other cultures, experience things, go different places, see how people live their lives, the type of businesses and needs, and just, I don't know what other things look like, because that really helps broaden the horizons. Like, wow, there's, there's so much more than my day-to-day looks like. And that's really one, it's helpful just from being a, like being more creative, but also I think it's really freeing. Like I'm not successful in this thing. And this is what, this is what success in my life up until looks like up until now looks like. And then suddenly you get beyond that. It's like, oh man, this, it didn't have to be that way. Um, who says this is how you have to live? And uh, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of that, like social media and stuff certainly has its uh, downfalls. I'm not a huge fan of it. There's a lot of things out there that are just unhealthy comparison and um, FOMO and all that stuff, but it, it can be healthy to see, you know, if you take it not as a, a comparison, but just a what's available. Um, I, I like it in that sense. Hopefully people start using it as a tool to just broaden their perspective of what's possible rather than you know, comparatively, I'm not getting to do this right now or whatever. I love everything you just said, because I've said it probably at least 75 times. If you've listened to everything on this podcast, you're probably like, man, that guy just said exactly what Ben was saying. Because that experience, that width, that figuring out where they fit into life. And this is why I love being a dad as well, because you can actually navigate that journey well before they get to 18. The more trips, the more experiences, the more worldly experiences you expose them to, the wider they see it and the better they understand how God uniquely designed them to plug into it and solve a unique problem. But we don't have that perspective. We don't get it in 12 years of school. And we're just told to go out in the world and figure out whatever the catalog is at the college and figure out what, yeah, I can do that for the rest of my life. No, that doesn't lead anywhere. That like just leads to what we just talked about, the American hell instead of the American dream. But like I've often like said, like I wish I could take my kids to India so I could see show them a kid that has nothing and smiling. Because like that's what you really need before you enter the world is like seeing it's not about the materials. It's about the experiences of life and who's experiencing life in a way that I really resonate with. And I want that life for myself. I like that. My, I know my wife, uh, they grew up, you know, pretty suburban, normal American family, but their parents made it a point. They went to Mexico, um, to like on mission trips and stuff to see how these people lived and like, Hey guys, like, yeah, this year we're going to go skiing in Colorado, but next year's vacation is we're going to Mexico and we're serving to help you see that this isn't like what you have is not what everyone has. And that's, I definitely would do that with my kids. Um, obviously I want my kids to have things and experiences and stuff that I didn't get to. Um, but it's not about the stuff. Like I want them to have this mindset of being generous and loving and grateful for the things they do have and being able to just, you know, go into things with open hands and open heart. I mean, that's where you know, people don't have much at all. Like, they have the ability to be grateful and be generous. And you can, you can have both of those things if you have a lot or a little. And uh, I want them to hang on to uh, that mindset. Well, Jim, this episode has been everything that I wanted it to. And you, I mean, I feel like we should have known each other decades before because of how common our thinking is and where we're going and just the different patterns of where we were at in our own life and how we want to design it. But I got one question left for you. 
So your younger dad, you're still in kind of what I call the Instapot phase of life where everything, every day feels like it's always under pressure and it's always cooking faster than you want it to. What is some of the best piece of dad advice that you want to make sure everybody gets out of those early experiences that you've gone through that like just cuts through some of the BS that maybe other dads at that early age haven't figured out yet? Man, I'm trying to figure that out still, frankly, but something I remind myself of very often is uh, a friend of mine says it all the time is the, uh, the days are, the days are slow, but the years go by fast. And I have to remind myself of that because man, yeah, it's the day to day is a drag. It's tough. Like it's the hardest thing. Um, but then, yeah, like our four-year-old, I look at him, I was like, how are you already four? And you're already talking about these things and doing this stuff. Like, I don't want to miss it. So that's my, my, one of my best friends just had a baby last week. My brother just had their third this, uh, this past week as well. And, uh, yeah, just reminding people, you know, I'm not very I'm much further along than you are. But gosh, even those first four years can go by quick. And I can't imagine how much faster the next four are going to go. Even just the football phase where they're just small enough in the corner of your arm. Like you feel like, nah, they, like I remember very few moments like in the store, like Hobby Lobby holding. I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to go that by that fast. And then just like, boom, two months. It's already like, wow, you, there's no They don't fit in the crack of my arm anymore. <laughs> I did that our four year old the other day. I used to. Yeah. When he was a newborn, I used to hold him like a football and I'd hold him in one arm and have our dog on the leash in the other one. And we go on walks like three, four hours, let Kendra rest. And, uh, I was telling about that the other day. I was like, here, let me try to hold you like that. And now he's, you know, he's four, he's a four-year-old size, whatever that is. And, uh, we tried to hold him like that. It was pretty, pretty funny. It was just, gosh, I can't believe how much you've grown and developed and I, I don't want to miss it. Um, so yeah, I, again, there's days. It's certainly like, I, I joke with Kendra regularly that I'm so excited to be a, an empty nester. Um, but in, in reality, it's gosh, you got to take that in and don't miss it. It's, it's such a, obviously it's such a tough thing, but it's such a joy to be able to go through those. And then also just the remind myself, the impact I'm having on my kids. Like my kids are not the age, like these are when they're going to have their earlier memories. Like what's their, what are the early memories going to be with dad and how am I, I have the, um, the privilege of helping form their, the worldview and shape their personalities. How am I going to steward that? And, uh, yeah, what an honor to get through that. Well, not to scare you, but I'll scare you. 70% of their personality is already pretty much established by the age of seven. So you've like that was early years. You don't really realize all these bad habits that you maybe don't pay attention to. They have their pre-percussions. And I would say to give you a kind of a timeline that I didn't really know myself, right around eight or nine is when they reach like a self-consciousness where they can maybe see the BS and what you just told them, or they can see the hypocrisy in what you've been telling them. And they'll call you on it or have an ability, especially like when you create this space to have great relationship with your kids, they're also going to be very comfortable calling you out. And it's like that eight or nine where the issues on the school playground are real life world issues. Like it might as well be 25. And it's this whole new like consciousness where they kind of realize it's not just being a kid. They're trying to grow up and they've got to grow up. Like it's a whole enjoy between zero and seven. Cause after that, it's like, it might as well be 25. Okay. I'll take, I'll take note of that. That's fun. I've never, we haven't gone there yet. None of my friends have kids that, that old yet. So, uh, yeah, like third grade, <laughs> third grade in school. Like that's where the issues really start being real. Like there, it might as well be like they lost their job that day. If they lost a friend or someone <laughs> wasn't going to play with them, like it's life ending problems that we'll get off the bus with you with. Hmm. Well, Jim, again, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to get this episode out and I know this is going to help bring a lot of dads home. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to do it. I appreciate you having me. 
Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. I hope that that episode was everything that you needed to get you through this week and to give you some perspectives on how to design your life at no matter what transition or what, no matter what point of your military career, whether it be as a veteran or whether still serving on active duty. I hope that that conversation gave you some insights into some places that you might not yet be thinking. And financial planning is one of those always that we often don't think about until we have kind of everything set up and everything where we want it to. But it's always a good conversation to talk to a financial planner to get your big picture, to understand your goals, to help you get outside of your head when it comes to your money, because most of your money problems come from your emotions, not your head. So it's always good to get in touch with a financial planner. So without that, let's dive into my big takeaway. So my big takeaway for here on this episode is understanding and being selfish with unplugging and pulling back. This is something that I didn't do when I got out of the military and is one of my big regrets. I wish I would have thrown out the TAPS code. I wish I would have just got home and learned how to relive again. For me, when I got out, I was all about the next job. I had no kids. I had no marriage. I had no relationships. I was a free man that could do anything he wanted. What did I do? I came home, hit the reset button, and worked on getting a job to get an apartment, to get back into places where I was in a routine, And meanwhile, throughout that, I started the path for myself to get lost over the next 10 years. For me, the big thing and the big takeaway that this lesson and everything that I continue to talk about is always reflected on how can you pull back in your life to really see where you need to go far ahead. Because even when the context of being 18, maybe you joined the military because you didn't know what you want to do. It gave you a whole wide world of how the world works and how it could work. Making sure you slow down to figure out how you can apply that. It's an important step where you want to go. It is a key step in every decision that I now make going forward, but it is a regret that I didn't do when I first got out is slow down. Now, if you've got family, you've got responsibilities, you got to do what you got to do. But if you are a single Marine, however, like I was, and you have the opportunity to slow down, or maybe you have the savings as a family to not have to dive back into work right away, focus on how to slow down because slowing down allows you to see where you've been It allows you to see where you're currently headed on the destination you want and also realign to make sure that that's actually what you want. It creates space to have conversations with important people in your life, like your partner and family and even your kids, maybe if they're at the older age and maybe they can get to have a say in what they want to do and how they want their life to unfold. You have a choice within that. Learning to pull back. That is my big takeaway. And so remember, when you think about big decisions, think about not figuring out how to go faster, figure out how to go slower before you go fast or try to go fast because we're often missing things. And it took almost 12, 15 years for me to figure out what I exactly missed when I first got out of the Marine Corps and try to pull back and refigure what that actually looked like. Even so, going back to when I first got out of the corporate world, when I lost my job, I wasn't in the pullback. I was in the survive, run, get going. You got to get going again. And even then, that's only a few years ago. This advice is so humbling that when you have big life moments like this, don't focus on how to get back to running. Focus on how to slow down for a little bit because you need to assess the situation before you start running again. And I think that's a critical mistake that a lot of veterans and active duty make within any big decision in their life, whether it be a duty station that they're getting assigned to or whether they want to live when they get out or what they want their career to be on the other side of doing 20. Think about it, plan, prepare, but slow down and be intentional. That is a big word that I would season everything that I just said. Guys, have an amazing week. And we're still pausing the Fatherhood Friday, so I will talk to you again on Monday.